Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. Awesome. Brother Bill, come up here very quickly. Uh, We've embarked on something this year in our church called a Clear Pathway to Spiritual Maturity. Uh, It actually begins with a class uh, entitled Discovering Membership. Uh, We had 43 in there this past Wednesday night. We want to invite you, if you're a new member, to join this class on Wednesday night. It's a rotating class, and uh, you can come in, stay in four weeks. You'll learn more about this church and the kingdom of God and what the Bible says the church should be doing and what the church family should uh, look like than probably you've ever dreamed possible. And so Brother Bill meets over in the admin building. You can meet over there with him. And so we want you to join that. We have some other things coming up. But we're also doing a class on Sunday morning called um, um, Discovering Soul Winning. And uh, did I get that right? Is it Discover- yeah. Discovering Soul Winning? Yes. Tell us about it, Brother. It's uh, awesome. Uh, this morning we had Brother Dallas Gray come and share his testimony about how that he had went forward in a church service back in the 40s and uh, had gone to church his whole life. And then in 87, I believe it was, Brother Dallas, 83, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to his heart, and he got saved. All those years, thinking he was a church member. Well, God led us this morning to walk through the plan of salvation. We walked down the Romans Road with some explanation, and uh, God, the Holy Ghost just showed up. Satan came and tried to tear the door off the building. We would not let him in, and we prayed. And when we got through praying... We had four precious souls birthed into the kingdom of God. Amen. And um, and how many did you have in the class this morning? 37. 37. 37. Praise the Lord. And these are 37 people who made up their minds that this year they will learn how to share Christ with a lost person and lead them to Christ. And then you had people get saved in the class. We're going to give those individuals that made that decision an opportunity to come up uh, at the end of the service and make that public. Right now, I'd like for all the men who are willing to do so to stand up. Join me here at the altar and we'll bow down. Brother Bill, you stay up here with that mic. You'll lead us in prayer. Thank you, sir. Men, we... We have a tradition in this church where the men of this church bow down and humble themselves before the Lord. I've said this a thousand times. Thank God for the godly women in this church. Thank God for women who have stood in the gap when men wouldn't stand in the gap. Thank God for for holy women of God who have supported uh, and and helped and encouraged. Uh, But thank God in this church, men, men want to lead out. Men uh, want to pray for their pastor and pray for their church. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit will show up in here uh, in power this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you as humbly as we know how, simply asking God that you would bless our pastor this morning. God, your word promises in First John chapter 2 that there would be an unction from the Holy One that would come upon those who would stand to preach the word of God. And this morning, God, we claim that unction for him. We claim, God, that you would strengthen him physically, that God, you would heal him, That, God, you would begin to work in his life that doctors and nurses cannot understand or comprehend. And it would all be for your honor, for your glory, for your praise. But, God, now as he's come to stand before us and open the precious word of God, I pray, God, we would hear it not as the voice of a man, but as the voice of God himself speaking from the throne. Speak to our heart. 
Energize us this morning, God. Prepare us, God, for what you've got prepared for us. God, may as we go forward into this work week, God, as we face Monday morning, let the words we're about to hear reverberate within the chambers of the heart and our mind and help us, Lord God, equip us, Lord God. To, our world is lost, it's dying, it's going to hell. And God, we need you desperately to work in and through our lives. And God, you promised that you'd bless your word. And so God, we're praying this morning, bless your word as our pastor speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. You may return to your seats. Okay. As you return to your seats, please open your Bibles to Psalm 40. We'll look at verses 2 and 3 in just a few moments. Psalm 40. Last week I talked to you about getting unstuck in your faith. This morning I want to talk to you about getting unstuck in your family. I did have a member of the church when I shared with him what I was preaching on today. He said, Pastor, do you think it's possible that you're stuck on getting unstuck? (laughs) And I said, I think maybe I am. But I think I'm stuck right here for a reason. I believe this is where the Holy Spirit wants me to be. And And I know from personal experience how difficult it is when you get stuck. I've been there too many times in my own walk with the Lord. And I also know that most of us are masters at acting like everything is all right when it's not all right. And another thing I know from my studies in the Word of God, and that is that sometimes dedicated, faithful, great men and women of God, those who are anointed by God, sometimes they get stuck in their faith and they need the help of Almighty God to get unstuck and to keep moving on uh, in their journey with the Lord. And Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3 is an example. I'll read. He said, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Now, the psalmist says, I was in a slimy pit. By the way, do you know who wrote this? King David wrote this. These are his words. The sweet psalmist of Israel. A man that God said of him, he is a man after God's own heart. Oh, wouldn't you love for God to say that about you? He's a man after God's own heart. She's a woman after God's own heart. What a, what a man of God David was. But David is telling us that he was in a slimy pit. One translation says a pit of destruction. Um, uh, another translation says uh, a horrible pit. Um, a pit of difficulty. This, this is translated so many different ways. 
But David is being very graphic here. He said, I was in a slimy pit. Have you ever been in a slimy pit? Most of us have. You know, the thing about a slimy pit is this. You know, when you fall in a slimy pit, you can't just climb right out of it. Listen, if you fall in a pit and you can climb right out of that pit and keep on going, it's not a slimy pit. It's not a horrible pit. It's not a pit of destruction that threatens to destroy your life. But when you fall in a pit and you can't get out of that pit, it's a slimy pit. It's a horrible pit. It's a pit of destruction. It's a pit that threatens your walk with God and your very future. And King David is letting us know that he was in a slimy pit. That this is his testimony. And then he says, But he lifted me up out of a slimy pit. He set my feet upon a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a song of praise in my mouth. And I love this. Others will see what He has done in my life. And they'll put their faith and trust in my God. Oh, what an amazing two verses we have here. Uh, By the way, if you need a reminder from time to time that God can take a life that's in the pits and turn it into a life that's praising God, you might want to mark this one in your Bible. Boy, this is a good place to go. So, we know that even great men and women of God find themselves stuck from time to time in pits they can't get out of. Now, this morning, I want to talk to you about family. I want to talk to you about not getting stuck in your family, in the spiritual growth of your family. How to get unstuck with your your whole family the husband and wife relationship, the relationship with the children, the dynamics of the family unit, so that the family keeps growing. Uh, For those of you who have been married very long, you know, without me telling you, how quickly things can go wrong. It really really is amazing. And I got to tell you, I and most pastors have a front row seat to this decline of marriage, this swift decline of marriage, there are times a young couple will come into my office and they'll sit on my couch and I can tell you there is absolutely no room between them. Man, they're almost sitting on top of each other. They can't keep their hands off one another. They're giggling and laughing, gazing into each other's eyes. Telling each other how much they love one another. They'll say, Pastor, we're here. Because we want to be married. And I want to tell you, friends, uh, people carry a countenance with them, don't they? When they come into my office, it's like they just bring a fresh wind of love. Love is in the air. Oh, it feels good. I go home and hug and kiss my wife after I talk to her. After I talked to a couple who's been in my wife, I, in my office like this. And then sometimes I'm not exaggerating, and two or three or four short years later, they walk back into my office and he sits on one end of the couch. She sits on the other end of the couch. They don't look at each other. They don't want to touch each other. They don't have a kind word for one another. 
They want to kill each other. And they want me to help them. (laughs) He wants me on his side. She wants me on her side. It's the truth. It's the truth. Marriage has a way of starting out. It is so wonderful. But very quickly it goes into decline. And and the reason why is because there is a real enemy fighting against your marriage. I've had this tucked away in my files for 30 years. I have to read this to you. Uh, Years ago it was in the Saturday Evening Post. And it's an article entitled, The Seven Ages of the Married Cold. And it's about the decline of marriage as seen through the common cold. Uh, So anyway, let's just get started. The first year, he says to her, sugar dumpling, I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle and there's no telling about these things with all this strep going around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and a good rest. I know the food's lousy, but I'll be bringing you your meals from Rosini's. I've already got it all arranged with the floor superintendent. That's first year. Second year. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I called Doc Miller and asked him to rush right over here. Now you go to bed like a good girl. Please, just for Papa. The third year. Maybe you'd better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you feel lousy. I'll bring you something to eat. Do you have any canned soup? The fourth year. Now look, dear, be sensible. After you've fed the kids, washed the dishes, and finished the floor, you better lie down. The fifth year. Why don't you take a couple of aspirin? The sixth year. I wish you'd just gargle or something instead of sitting around all evening barking like a seal. The seventh year. For Pete's sake, stop sneezing. Are you trying to give me pneumonia? (laughs) We're laughing because that hits real close to home, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, friends, let me tell you, family is important. We serve a God who's all about family. He's all about family. Listen, family is the reason for all of creation. No exaggeration. Family is the reason for all of creation. If anybody ever asks you, what is life all about? Why are we here? What's the purpose of life? You can answer that question in one word. Say, family. God wanted a family. You were born in this world to have an opportunity to be a part of God's family. The whole Bible is God's story of building a family of faith. A family of people who would willingly love Him and walk with Him and honor Him and rule and reign with Him for all of eternity. Think about it just for a moment. When we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ... God became our Father, right? And we became His children, right? And other believers became our brothers and sisters, right? And the church became our spiritual family, right? I like it, man. 
Not just yes, but yes, sir. I like that. And this is the best part of all. Jesus became our elder brother. Romans 8.29, Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. That indicates family. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Hebrews 2.11 says, So now Jesus and the ones He makes holy. I love that. And the ones He makes holy have the same Father. Jesus and all those that He makes holy have the same Father That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Oh, friends, this is all about family. The whole concept of Christianity is rooted in family. We're all born into a biological family. Most of us are part of an adopted family. Where we've adopted people into our family And people have adopted us into their families. I always loved it when our children were little and growing up and they called people aunt and uncle and there was no blood relationship there. But they just got it. Even from a young age, we're a family. We're an adopted family. You're born into a biological family. More than likely, you have an adopted family. And when you receive Christ into your heart, you became part of a spiritual family. And one day we'll spend eternity with our Heavenly Father. In an eternal family. No exaggeration. This is all about family. God is all about family. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you four things this morning. I hope and pray you'll write these down. These will change your life, change your home. I want to give you four things that you can do to get your family unstuck. Now you may not need all of them. You might. But this, these are things to remember. You might need them one day if you don't need them today. Here's the first thing. Lay a foundation of faith. Lay a foundation of faith through through Bible reading and prayer in your home. A daily devotion where you come together and read a few scriptures and you pray together. And you don't have to be heavy. You don't have to be legalistic about it. You may start out by just reading two or three verses and saying, hey, everybody, before we run out the door, we're going to read a few verses, get on our knees and say a prayer, and you do it in two or three minutes. That's a good starting place where you begin to lay a foundation of faith through Bible reading and prayer. I know you've heard this before. The family that prays together stays together. I believe that for the most part. However, I believe there are some exceptions. But I I can tell you there are no exceptions to what I'm about to say. The family that never prays together cannot grow in grace together. They can't. They'll be fragmented. You have to pray together. Here's one of my favorite quotes. A family altar can alter a family. And I do not like this next one, but I fear that it is the truth. You can either have a family altar or Satan will alter your family. What if you were looking for a church home? I'm just asking. This is food for thought. What if you were looking for a church home and you visited a church and right off the bat you found out that this church never reads the Bible together. This church never studies the Bible together. And this church never prays together. Would you want to join that church? Wouldn't you think that's a weak church? Well, listen to me. There are Christian families that never read the Bible together, never study the Bible together, and never pray together. 
And yet they wonder why they struggle so much. There are things that will make your family strong and healthy in the Lord. And I can tell you, you cannot bypass this. Get your family together. Pray together. Read the Bible together. Uh, Listen, moms and dads, very important. If you don't take anything out of here today except this, please take this with you. You cannot control the future of your children, but you can control the foundation of your children. You can lay a foundation of faith that will make all the difference in the world in their lives in the days to come. And I'm going to tell you something. Some of you are seated in this congregation right now and you tried every way in the world to get away from that foundation that some godly parent or some godly pastor or somebody laid in. You tried to get away from it, but you couldn't. The Bible says raise up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he'll not depart from it. Oh. So have a family devotion. Somehow, some way, have a family devotion. Get creative. Make it fun. Um, make it a big deal. Give them a reward. Reward your children for being involved in devotion. Let me tell you, if you reward them enough for being in the devotion and being a part of that devotion, they'll beg you every day. When are we going to do the devotion? Isn't it time for us to do our devotion? Aren't we going to read the Scripture and pray together? Because they know they're going to get something good out of it. You say, well, pastor, is that right? Well, I want to ask you. The Bible says God will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly before Him. Doesn't God reward us when we do the right thing? Doesn't He bless us? Doesn't He kiss us with His holy presence when we do the right thing? Why not bless your children and kiss them when they do the right thing? Get a reward system. I had an evangelist. This has been a long time ago. I was trying to think. Honestly, I can't remember. 35, 40 years ago evangelist came to my church and he told the story. He said, I, I, I was trying to figure out some way to get my two smaller children um, interested in, in the Bible. And he said, I, I kept praying, what can I do to get them hungry for the Word? And so, and I had some teenagers, but he said, I want to get them in the Word of God. What can I do? And he came up with an idea. And so he told his two young children, he said, Every verse you memorize, every verse you memorize, I'll give you a dime. Now, now, if you, if you want to apply this story in your own family, you need to take inflation into account. You tell your children, I'm going to give you a dime. They're going to say, shoot, who cares? I don't want a dime. So, so we're talking more like a dollar. I'm just trying to help the kids out now. <laughs> he said, if you will memorize a scripture, I'll give you a dime. And week after week, they would do that. But somewhere in that process, his teenage daughter said, well, Dad, that's not fair. Why don't you do that for us? Why don't you do it for me? He said, I'll do the same for you. He said, if you memorize scripture, he said, I'll give you a dime for every scripture you memorize. He said about four or five months later, his teenage daughter walked in, handed him a Bible, and said, I'm ready. He said, well, let's get started. And she said, oh, no, you need to sit down. He said he sat down, and she told him where to turn in the Bible. And he said his teenage daughter quoted 1,000 verses of Scripture. 
And he said he took $100 out and gave to his daughter. But friends, listen to me. He gave her more than $100. He gave her the word of the living God. He gave her the supernatural power of God. He gave her the engrafted word of God that would guide her and lead her and protect her her whole life. Oh, friends, somehow, some way, the first thing you need to do is lay a foundation of faith in your home. Now, the second thing you need to do is you need to teach your family how to forgive. You need to teach your family how to forgive. I want to tell you, I think more families are stuck right here than in any other place I know. Teach them how to forgive. Lay a foundation of faith, and then right off the bat, teach them how to forgive. It is not unusual for somebody to say to me, Pastor, you just don't understand. I come from a dysfunctional family. Well, friends, i got news for you. All families are dysfunctional. To some degree. There are different degrees. Some are worse than others. I understand. But all families are dysfunctional. You know why I know that? Because we're all battling a sinful, Adamic, fallen nature. And that nature never shows up anywhere as much as it does in the family. I, how successful do you think you'd be in life if you treated everybody you meet every day just like you treat the people in your home when the doors are closed? Some of you wouldn't have a friend in the world. Isn't it amazing that we treat the people we live with, the people we love, our immediate family, worse than we do perfect strangers? At least I think it is. Listen, you cannot get through family life without getting hurt, without being disappointed. We, we just can't. We're not perfect. We all make mistakes. And the closer you are to someone and the more you know about that person, the more it hurts. I, I heard a pastor say one time, if you think I'm perfect, just ask my wife. Be nice, baby, if somebody comes up to you after the service. <laughs> you see, friends, forgiveness has to be a part of your family if you're going to get your family unstuck. Forgive people who ask for forgiveness. Forgive people who don't ask for it. Forgive people who deserve it. Forgive people who don't deserve it. Forgive people just like Christ has forgiven us is what the Bible teaches. If you want to get your family, if you want to get your family back on track, then you have to forgive and you have to teach them how to forgive. Forgiveness has to be a big part of your, your family life. Let me read a couple of scriptures. Proverbs 17.9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. And then Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as, Christ, even as God in Christ forgave you. One of the greatest gifts you'll ever give your children, one of the greatest gifts you'll ever give your children, is to teach them how to forgive. And you 
And there's only one way you can teach your children how to forgive. And that's by example. You can't just teach it out of the Word. You have to take the Word of God, take your personal experience, and say to your children, this is how it's done. This is what you do. You want to change the life of your children today? Go home, name somebody that they already know you don't like, you're mad with, you're upset with. Call their name out and say, this is what God's Word says. And before my children, before God, I'm going to forgive them today. And I'm I'm going to get this behind me. I'm going to get past my past. I'm going to quit being childish, and I'm going to forgive them. And by the way, it really doesn't matter whether they deserve it or not. No, it doesn't. I heard somebody say, <laughs> I heard somebody say, unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and hoping somebody else will die. The person that drinks the poison will die. Does the name Clara Barton ring a bell to anybody here? She was the head of the American Red Cross. She actually founded the American Red Cross. And one time they were planning something, and uh, a name was brought up about somebody who had hurt her, who had offended her, who had acted ugly toward her. And Clara was saying, come on, let's just include her. And they said, Clara, don't you remember what she did? Don't you remember how she treated you? Don't you remember what happened in that situation? And Clara said, no, no, I don't remember. And then she said, and this is the famous quote, I distinctly remember forgetting that. She was saying, I distinctly remember. I forgave her. I forgot it. She's welcome. Bring her on in. Isn't it time you forgive somebody? Isn't it time you teach your children to do that? May I tell you this morning, friends, one of the slimiest pits you'll ever fall in in your life is the pit of unforgiveness. Oh, it's hard to get out of there. But God will help you. In, in fact, I don't know if you ever heard this before, but God will help you do anything His Word teaches you to do. If God teaches you to do it, He'll, He'll help you. He'll help you do it. All right, I've given you two. Lay a foundation of faith. Start having a family devotion. Teach your family to forgive. And then this is a very, very important one. Change the mood in your home. Change the mood in your home. Have you noticed that life can really throw you some curveballs from time to time? You see, what you had in mind is you were going to marry the perfect person. You were going to have the perfect children. You were going to have the perfect little family. And you were going to have a perfect life. How's that working out for you? (laughs) See, life throws you some curveballs. I'm telling you, life itself can throw you some curveballs. Did you ever see the cartoon? One of my all-time favorite cartoons. The woman is all frazzled. She's all upset. She's scared to death. She's sitting in front of her doctor. She's waiting for the diagnosis. And the doctor leans in and says, Ma'am, I'm afraid you have what's called children. Life just has a way of stealing your joy and destroying the mood and the home. Let me tell you, get married, have children, get a job. Try to stay up with the fast pace of life. And it is tough to go home every evening and be sweet and nice and kind. 
I have to read this to you. There was this man whose health was in serious decline, and his wife took him to the doctor. After the examination and blood work, the doctor took the wife aside and told her that he was seriously ill. Your husband is seriously ill, and this could be a life or death matter. His problem is completely stress-induced. For at least one year, you'll need to give him very special attention. He'll need three good home-cooked meals a day. You need to always be pleasant and in a good mood. You may want to give him a back massage from time to time. No nagging or complaining. Don't criticize him or point out any of his faults. You'll need to keep the house clean at all times. No unnecessary spending on new clothes or jewelry. This will just add to his stress. The d- Let's go back to the couch illustration a while ago. <laughs> no unnecessary spending. I'll try it again. No unnecessary spending on new clothing or jewelry. This will just add to his stress. The doctor said, if you give him your undivided attention, I think he can pull out of this. Later on the ride home, the husband asked his wife, When the doctor pulled you aside and talked to you, what did he say? Honey, she replied, it's not looking that good for you. (laughs) The doctor doesn't think you're going to make it. Oh. Now, friends, that's just plain funny, isn't it? (laughs) But I can tell you what's not funny. When the mood and the spirit and the atmosphere of a home is in decline and it's getting worse and worse every day, and you begin to dread being together, and every day it gets more tense in the home. What I'm trying to say to you, friends, is is you may need, in order to get unstuck, you may need to take the next step of changing the mood in your home. It needs to go from being tense and difficult and critical to being loving and caring and speaking life and encouragement. Somebody needs to get involved in changing the mood of a home. And since I've brought you this far, I'll go ahead and tell you who I think should do it. You see, when it comes to laying a foundation of faith in your home, I make no bones about it. I believe that's the man's responsibility. Listen, if you call yourself a man of God, don't you get mad with me. If you call yourself a man of God, you pick up your Bible tomorrow sometime. And you say to your wife and your children, we're going to read a couple verses and we're going to pray. It may not take 90 seconds, but we're going to get started in this. Step up to the plate, men. Do something. Take the next step in your family. Take the next step. Lay 
a foundation of faith. But when it comes to this matter of changing the mood and the spirit of a home, ladies, this is where you can take the lead. This is where you should take the lead. Have you ever seen this before? When mama ain't happy? (laughs) Ain't nobody happy. Now friends, that wouldn't be funny if it were not the truth. (laughs) You show me a home that has an unhappy woman in it and I'll show you an unhappy home. You can come to church, put on the facade, you can smile, but I'm going to tell you, that's a miserable home when there's a woman in it that's unhappy. The Bible says something about better to live in the corner of a housetop than in the house with a contentious woman. <laughs> I, I know it's there somewhere. Isn't it, Brother Bill? That's in the Bible, isn't it? Okay, I just needed some backup on that one. And, and I can tell you guys, you may be the head of your home, but if you've got an unhappy wife, you're the head of an unhappy home. And that's not much fun. And, and ladies, I want to say this to you. Listen to me. Your happiness should not come from your husband. Your happiness should come from the Lord. Man, t- the fact is, nobody can make any of us happy. A husband can't make his wife happy, and a wife can't make her husband happy. That's just not the way it works. We get our joy from the Lord. The Lord is the one that we receive joy from. Wives, moms, I'm asking you, take this seriously. Make up your mind before you leave this service. Today I'll go home and I'll change the mood of my home. I will stay before God until He does something in me and there's joy overwhelming and overflowing in my life. And I want to tell you, men, you'll change your home by laying the foundation of faith. And women, you'll change your home by changing the mood of your home. Now, I did feel like I needed a little bit of a disclaimer right here. (laughs) I don't want to answer too many questions after this is over with. (laughs) Men, cut your wife some slack and be realistic. She's not Wonder Woman. (laughs) You got him back, didn't you? She's not Wonder Woman. And by the way, even if she looks like Wonder Woman, that won't last forever. (laughs) I think think I'll get somebody else to preach for me next Sunday. I read this somewhere. It just made sense. If you want somebody to love you all the time, unconditionally, never question anything you say or do, always be in a good mood, just buy a dog. (laughs) Now friends, a happy home is not a home without conflict. A happy home is a home that deals with conflict. They have good problem management skills. But a happy home is a home where there's about ten times more laughter and fun and excitement than there is conflict. That's what a happy home is about. And I hope, I hope you'll be ready to take the next step in this. 
Don't get caught in the slimy pit of a bad mood in your home. Turn your home into a palace of praise where Jesus is Lord, where there's laughter in your home on a daily basis, where there's praising and worship for a holy God. All right, I've given you three so far. Do you have them? All right, lay a foundation of faith. Teach your family to forgive. What's the next one? Change the mood of your home. That's very important. One more. I'll give it to you. And since I'm running out of time, I'll just read it to you. That'll keep me from running rabbits. Involve your family in church. If you really love your family, get your family involved with God's family. If you want God to build your family, then involve yourself in the building of His family. The lines between family and church should, be, should become blurred. Your family and the church family should become so much a part of one another that you can hardly tell the difference. It's not that church should take up all of your time. It's just the fact that where the church is going and where your family is going is so closely related that you're taking the journey together. As the pastor here at River of Life, I don't think everybody in the church should be at everything the church does. I don't even attend all the functions and activities of this church. And that's okay. What I do believe is this. You and your family should be so involved in church that the lines between church and family become blurred. Your children should grow up in a biological family and a spiritual family And they should scarcely be able to tell the difference between the two. The blood that unites us is thicker than the water that divides us. If it is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here at River of Life, we have taken the next step. We have decided that we are not going to get stuck. We have established a clear pathway to spiritual maturity. And we want you to join us in that clear pathway, on that clear pathway to spiritual maturity. But listen, in order to really join us on that clear pathway to spiritual maturity, you have to start at home. You have to start at home. I want to tell you, it's impossible to grow a church if homes are not growing in grace. You have to start at home. Would you lay a foundation of faith in your home through daily devotionals? Would you teach your children, your family to forgive? Would you leave here today and say, with the help of God, we're going to change the mood of our home. Our home's going to be the most exciting home in town because Jesus is going to be there. And we're going to do it the way God says, and we're going to forgive one another and love one another. And then to say, you know what? I'm going to get involved in this church family. I'm not just going to attend. This is my family. This is my family. Let's pray. Father,